14 chapters in Exodus along with our companion book reading as well. And so a little bit more to cover. And so hopefully you use that, that extra week off um, from your reading assignment, so to speak, to be able to do all of that for this week. But it is a great way to connect with the message each Sunday, to read the scriptures, to, to read the companion book reading. But last time we were together with our, our series, we left off with Abraham receiving the promise from God, the promise of a nation. And, and that promise was given to Abraham and Sarah, different names at the time they were given it, but it was given to them, Sarah being barren. They were both past childbearing years, but yet they were given a son. Sarah had a baby. And, and with this series that pans the whole Bible, in just a year you can imagine that there is going to be a lot that we're not going to cover on a Sunday morning. We're not going to preach all of the 14 chapters on Exodus this morning. Sigh of relief? Yes. <laughs> but I will say I am a details-oriented person, and so it was, it was a struggle. It was a struggle, and so hang on this morning. It might go just a little bit long, but the Super Bowl doesn't start until this evening, so you're okay. Um, but I know a lot of people want to get out and enjoy the weather too. So, But with all of that, um, you know, when we, when we read the scriptures, um, we, we, we recognize, of course, that the, the overview, it, you know, in overview, it, it's all God's story. It, it all tells us about who he is because, of course, he's the main character in the Bible. And while we should read the Bible and ask, well, what does this say about me? The more important thing is, what does it say about God? That's what we want to really be keen in. And turning to our companion book, I'll read just a little excerpt from it this morning. The author writes, The Bible reveals to us a God who is in charge, is incredibly creative, solves problems in roundabout ways, takes his own sweet time, and manages to deliver his people in spite of overwhelming odds. In fact, it sometimes appears as if God prefers the hard way to the easy way. He doesn't seem to be as interested in efficiency as we are, preferring to lead his people through a character-forming hardship more than along a comfortable, cushy path. He even seems to prefer working with messed-up people rather than someone who's got it all together. Well, as we dive into this morning's message titled Birth of a Nation, we'll see that this is how God seems to prefer to work. And many of us have experienced this, us, us in our messed up lives, seemingly don't have it all together, which is true, we don't. We do need him every step of the way. And, and so I just encourage you um, that, that you'll be able to connect with this message today. So let me start off by building a bridge from where we left off with God's promise to Abraham to where we're going to pick up the text today. God did a miracle again in Abraham and Sarah's life, provided them with a son. They named him Isaac. Isaac grew up and had a, two sons of his own, Esau and Jacob. And then Jacob grew up and had 12 sons. And one of those sons', sons names name was Joseph. We don't want to confuse that Joseph with Mary's husband, though, not, not Jesus's earthly father. Totally different Joseph, all right? But this Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, 
And you can read about his life in Genesis chapters 37 through 50 if you want to do that. But it was through this Joseph being sold into slavery that God positioned him exactly where he wanted him to be. Now, it took a number of years before Joseph actually experienced the good that God would bring from the evil that was intended. But eventually, Joseph was promoted from a dungeon dweller to second in command of all of Egypt. And that it was in this position that God used Joseph to keep his family from starvation when a famine hit the land of not only Egypt, but the the land that the family was living in. Now, Pharaoh, sometimes we'll see it translated as king, um, basically the big cheese of of Egypt here, um, granted Joseph permission to move his whole family into Egypt. He said, bring them. We can feed them here. Bring your family here. Because, of course, Joseph had won favor with Pharaoh. And so they were kept from starvation themselves. Um, They were actually given a plot of land in which that they could set up residence, and so it it actually was very suitable to their agrarian ways, and so they they took up residence there in Egypt and and managed to stay alive. Now, I've mentioned before that I have three sisters, and there's just a a seven-year spread between the oldest and the youngest. And and I I think about my my poor dad, you know, if that isn't a miracle, that a father could survive in a household of four teenage girls, you know, that's, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, my dad's going to comment there. But in all of that, it, it, when I reflect back, there was just a little over a 10-year time frame. When we all graduated from high school during this time frame, two graduated from college, all four got married, And the three of us that have biological children gave birth to eight sons within just over a 10-year time frame. It was like our family just grew tremendously during that time because not only do we have the eight sons, but, of course, we have our spouses in the addition as well. And families have a tendency to do that. They keep growing. And Joseph's family grew at an even more tremendous rate rate because remember he was just one of 12 sons and then those sons had children and then their children had children and so as time passed joseph even though his generation died this family continued to expand not only did the family continue to expand after joseph or after joseph's death the family continued to expand but there was also a new pharaoh that was on the scene during this family expansion. And it was one that didn't know about Joseph and the good that he had done for the nation of Egypt and helping them survive that famine. And this huge family, this family of Israel, were making the king of Egypt nervous. He was wondering, are they going to overthrow me? Are they going to overtake my country? And so he came up with a solution. I'll put him in slavery. That ought to stop it. And it's very interesting that if we look back into Genesis and how God was speaking to Abraham, he told Abram, was what he was called at that time, he told him this. He said, Abram, 
you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. Well, 400 years of slavery have been endured, and this is where we're going to pick up the text. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn with me to Exodus chapter 2, starting with verse 23. That's where we're going to start, and we'll kind of expand um, from there. But before we read the word this morning, will you just bow your heads with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that it, it tells us about who you are, that you demonstrate your character and your faithfulness through your word. And so, Lord, as we share it this morning, as we dive into it, I just pray, Lord, that you would open our ears to what you'd have for us. Lord, we just thank you for it. Don't let it return void in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Exodus chapter 2, starting with verse 23, the scriptures say this, Years passed, and the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groanings, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. Aren't you thankful that God hears us? That when we cry out to him under the burdens that we carry in life, that he not only hears our cries, he sees what we're going through. That he's a God of his word, that when he says, I promise that you can count on him keeping it. It might not look like we expected or come in the timing that we would want, but God is going to be faithful with his promises, and that's what he's demonstrating to us here is he saw those cries and he's going to respond. Moses would echo that he's thankful that God keeps his promises. For Moses was the vessel, of course, that God chose to use to uh, bring about the fulfillment of this promise of birthing of nation. Even though the promise of the nation itself was given to Abraham, Moses is going to have a part of, of the actually birthing them into their freedom from Egypt. Maybe when you think about Moses, you think about, you know, Charleston Heston and, you know, that bigger than life and he's confident and he's powerful and he's large and he seems to be so in charge. But that isn't how Moses started out. <laughs> and so even though there's, there's no doubt that God had his hand on Moses, in Exodus chapter 2, we read about Moses' birth, and we really see that come to life. You see, when Moses' mom gave birth to, to him, and she looked at him for the first time, she saw that he was a special baby. And she kept him hidden for three months. Now, you might wonder, why in the world would a mother keep her son hidden for three months? I mean, aren't you supposed to plaster Facebook with the image of your, your son or your, your daughter? You know, or, or at least send out those baby announcements with their pictures on there, their weight and their length and the date they were born and their name and do all of those things. Or, you know, have the baby shower and have everybody in the neighborhood come on over and see the new baby. But Moses' mom couldn't do that. You see, because of the Pharaoh's fear of this nation growing, this family growing, he gave the order for all baby boys to be killed. 
that the Hebrew midwives were given the command upon the baby's birth that they were to kill the baby. How absolutely horrific. In Exodus chapter 1, verse 17, God's word says this, though. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live. Maybe you've seen the headlines recently about New York and passing that for the mother's health, a baby could be aborted right up to actual just about birth. And, and when we think about that, we as the body of Christ, of course, cannot remain silent. We don't want to see our nation slide even further down the slippery slope of devaluing human life. Because what does it mean when we say, for the sake of the mother's health? Is that mental health? Is it physical health? Who deems what that is? And, and so we need to speak out. We want to do it respectfully. We want to do it in love because those that are making those choices do not understand the real ramifications of what they're doing. And so we want to speak out in love and respect. Certainly we should support candidates that believe in the sanctity of life. But the reality is it takes more than reform of legislation. It takes reform of the heart. The midwives refused to end life because they feared God. We should pray that God would stir up that same holy fear in all of our hearts, in our nation. To have a heart that would earnestly fear God is going to choose life. Verse 21 of chapter 1 says this, And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. God blesses those who fear him. We cannot dictate how he is going to bless, but he will bless those who fear him. In our nation, we want to pray for it, to be a nation that will fear God and let our babies live. God's divine intervention in sparing Moses' life included placing him in the prestigious household of Pharaoh, where scripture tells us he was taught the wisdom of the Egyptians and he was powerful in both speech and in action. In other words, he was trained to not only be a, a government leader, but also a military leader. Years passed Moses grew up, and at the age of 40, Moses went to go visit his biological family, his relatives, the Hebrews. And he saw how they were being abused by the Egyptian taskmasters. And, and scripture tells us that Moses looked this way and that to check if anybody was watching as he saw this Egyptian leader, this taskmaster, abusing one of his own. And then he killed the Egyptian and he hid his body in the sand, scripture tells us. 
it's been observed that Moses looked this way and that way, but unfortunately, he never looked up. He knew God's will, but the problem was is that he didn't bother to seek God's way and God's timing. He was trying to do it his own way and in according to his own timetable. And that's the problem when we understand what God's will is for our lives, but things aren't happening fast enough to suit us. We become anxious and we try to give God a hand. Well, Moses learned this lesson the hard way. Getting ahead of God is not productive. It typically only ends up setting us back. I remember when I first came to know the Lord and I was very excited to learn that the God that loves me so much was willing to die for me and I just thought everybody else obviously needed to know this and so I thought I need to tell them that's my responsibility. Well, I think I got ahead of God a little bit. Probably I didn't have the right words to say. I maybe didn't have uh, the right heart to say it yet because quite frankly, when you go to people, and you inform them that they're sinners and that sinners without a relationship with Jesus are going to hell, you can well imagine where some of those people thought I should maybe go. It did not go well. I got ahead of God, and it was counterproductive because then I had to rebuild some of those relationships, and it took time. And so we don't want to get ahead of God. And so even though... um, the people obviously needed to be delivered from Egyptian oppression. God was going to be the one to pick the time. And obviously it was not time yet when Moses was only 40. Though Moses had thought he had not been seen and had literally gotten away with murder, the next day he went back expecting, of course, to be fully appreciated for his intervention. However, his own ended up rejecting him. They even informed him that they had seen that he had killed an Egyptian. And so, of course, Moses, fearing for his life then, ended up fleeing. And here's where we get to the heart of the message for us today. Through God's call on Moses' life, I believe that we can take, take away a number of things that we can apply to our own lives. And before you decide that, well, this can't possibly apply to me because I'm not planning on parting the Red Sea or I'm not planning on going into vocational ministry, um, I do believe that God has a call on every single one of our lives. It's just going to look different. But God has a plan and a purpose. And, and And in that, he wants to accomplish something through you. And then that means that he has a call on your life. And so as followers of Jesus, of course, we're all supposed to be vessels that the Holy Spirit can fill you know, us and, and then we can be equipped for his call on our lives, for his purposes. The question is, is are we going to be open to him filling us and using us for his purposes? So there we go. Moses hid when he realized that he had blown it by getting ahead of God. He went and hid out in, in the obscurity of, of Midian, getting hired by his father-in-law as a shepherd. And so if you have your Bibles, again, turn to, to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. 
There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, a Moses thought to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. Then the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look. God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. It started out as just an ordinary day. Moses is out tending the sheep. Just another ordinary day. You would think that with the strong call of God, I mean a burning bush that isn't burning up, you're talking dead wood out in the desert, dry wood, and and it's just burning and, and not being used up. Now who wishes they had an outdoor furnace like that in Minnesota? Okay, but that's that was how God was calling Moses. And you would think that with such a strong presence of God, that Moses would not have felt found it hard to just step into the call that God had for him. But instead of immediately accepting God's call and assignment of leading his people of Israel out of Egypt, he offered up four excuses as to why he was not God's man for the job. So we're going to look at those excuses this morning. When What can we learn from them? Because they're probably going to sound pretty familiar. The first one is found in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. It says, But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? Now, I remember working through a time of questioning that as well. Who am I? Aren't pastors supposed to be men? Aren't pastors supposed to be sons of pastors? And anyway, God, don't you know that I have a business that I'm helping run? Who am I that you would call me to be a pastor? And maybe you have found yourself in that same position where you felt prompted by God to maybe lead a Bible study in your home, or maybe you were led to offer some assistance to a neighbor where you felt totally unqualified. Or maybe you felt like God was calling you to take a specific job or move to a different area, and you question, who am I? Well, when God calls us, he assures us of this. In verse 12, God answered, I will be with you. God was with Moses when he led the people out of Egypt. God has been with me as he led me to pastor the church. God will be with you in anything that he calls us to do. Joshua 1.9 says, This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God will be with us. We can take him at his word. 
If he calls us, he's going to be with us. Not yet convinced, Moses goes on to offer the second excuse. In verse 13, it says, But Moses protested, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, What is his name? Then what should I tell them? (laughs) Moses feels like he's blown it already. He messed it up when he was back in Egypt before. The words of that Hebrew that that accused him, that, that said, we saw you kill the Egyptian, must have been echoing in his ears because scripture tells us that man said, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? But the authority to fill the role that God has called us to isn't in who we are. The authority comes from God. Moses needed something rock solid to offer when his authority was questioned. And so God in verse 14 replies to Moses. He says, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. God chose Moses to lead the people. God is the one that puts all into authority. Romans chapter 13, 1 says, For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. When God calls you to fulfill a role, whether it be as a parent, as a business owner, ministry leader, anything else, you can stand firm. He has given you that place of authority. It doesn't mean, of course, that we lord it over people or we take it for granted. For just as God placed you there, God can remove you. And so we want to serve, though, with the confidence that God has given us as he's put us in that position of authority for however long he has us in that place. He will not only give us that authority, but he will be with us. And I recently had someone tell me that I had one strike against me as a leader. And I asked, oh, what's that? And the response was, you are a woman. And and when you know, though, without a doubt, that, that God has called you to a role, even when things like that are, are shared, you know that you can trust that he has given you the authority to stand. All authority to fill whatever role it is that God has chosen for you because it comes from God, not from ourselves. Moses continued, though, to offer excuses. You start to get the impression that he really didn't want the job, that title of God's instrument of deliverance. And so he questions again in Exodus chapter 4, starting with verse 1. He says, but Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back. Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. 
So Moses reached out and grabbed it, and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Perform this sign, the Lord told him. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, again, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, really has appeared to you. The God, God went on to, to give Moses other signs as well. Of signs of his power. See, people may question whether you're really the person for the role. My one teenage son did that multiple times. <laughs> and we may not have a big stick in our hand, but God will demonstrate his miraculous power through us if we will stay connected to him through prayer and remain steadfast in obedience. He will demonstrate his power through us. How? That's completely up to God. But I will say that God will call us to things that are much bigger than we could ever accomplish on our own because then we have no way of taking the credit for it. All glory goes to God. I'd still like a big stick sometimes, though. <laughs> well, the last excuse that Moses offered God is one that really does resonate with me. It's found in, in Exodus 4, chap, or chapter 4, verse 10. It says, But Moses pleaded with the Lord, O Lord, I am not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. I get this one. <laughs> when I was a kid, I was that one in the classroom that kind of shrunk down in the seat hoping that the teacher's eyes would never land on me to be called out to read out loud in the classroom or to answer a question. Oh, I may very well have known the answer, but I didn't want to talk out loud. In fact, I think my parents said I didn't really say much until I was about two or three. So with that, it was like my, my tongue always got me tripped up every time. and I didn't have the confidence to speak. And that actually is my nature. And so I can say all glory to God that he would actually put me in a place like this because I can't do this on my own. But I certainly understand Moses' complaint. And so I hang on to this, what God said to Moses in verses 11 and 12. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or, who do, or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. I can't tell you how many times I've hung on to that, prayed those words for God to help me to be able to speak, but when we are called upon by God to speak, maybe it's in defense of someone who's being bullied, somebody who's marginalized, maybe in the case of the unborn, or maybe it's to share the gospel message, or maybe a portion of what we believe. God will give us the words. He will be with us, and he will instruct us on what to say. 
sure, we may still get tongue-tied. But if it, God is in it, the power of our words is still going to go forth. Will we look foolish? Maybe. But it isn't about us anyway. And so no excuses. Even though Moses pleaded with God to send someone else, we know that Moses went. Yes, with Aaron as his sidekick, sometimes got him into trouble. But Moses went. And Moses was used powerfully by God to free his people from Egyptian slavery. I love these words of encouragement on being called from Chuck Swindoll. He writes, in God's calling, he has a plan. But he never expects you to carry out that plan. He's going to pull it off. He simply wants you to be the instrument of action. After all, it is his reputation that's at stake, not yours. All he asks is that you give yourself to him as a tool so he can pick it up and use it. That's all. And so I ask, is God calling you? Have you been drawing closer to God recently? Even though today started out as just another Sunday. Are you sensing God's presence in an extra, presence in an extra special way? Are you feeling like he's calling you to something? You maybe don't even understand what that is right now. Maybe that carpet square that your feet are sitting on right now is becoming holy ground to you because you're sensing God calling you. I encourage you, respond like Moses did, not with the excuses, but with the here I am. Here I am. Offer yourself as a vessel to God so that he can fill you with his power to carry out his love and grace, to give yourself as a tool that God can pick up and use maybe in your workplace, maybe in your community, maybe in this church, certainly in your family, to say, here I am. Use me as you see fit. Maybe you've been sensing this for some time and you just haven't been able to step out into what God is calling you to do. And i just like to suggest that after service, come and let the prayer team pray with you and maybe ask for God for clarity about what it is that you're sensing. I want to pray for courage, that you'd be willing to step out, to trust God as he leads you and equips you. Maybe you're here this morning and you felt the call of God to something new and you've just been offering up excuses. Excuses as to why you aren't the right one. Excuses that you aren't qualified, that you don't have the talent, you don't have the authority. Well, I challenge you with Moses' example to rethink those excuses that you're holding on to. God knows all things, including the unfolding of his plan. He knows what it is that you need, and he is able to supply it. He's got every detail planned out for purposes for you. And that includes what he's calling you to do. We don't want to let our kids or our grandkids give excuses when, when we've asked them to do something. Why would we think that our Heavenly Father would want us to be offering up excuses when he calls us to do something?
He assures us we can move forward, answer the call with confidence that as we remember that he's going to be with us, he'll work through us, he'll give us the authority, he's going to give us the words to say, he's going to give us the abilities that we're going to need to fulfill the promise that he has, his plans that he has. He wants to use us as vessels. That is, he unfolds his glorious story. He wants to give us an opportunity to partner with him. No, it's not going to be a comfortable, cushy life, the one that we have a tendency to want to speak, seek. But being in God's will is obviously the best place to be. And he'll use every single step of, of the, our journey to transform us, to build our character, and to use us for his glory. So when we respond to his call, we can trust he's going to be with us. He's going to give us the authority to walk in it. He's going to empower us as he fills us, and he's going to give us the words to say. And so let us be people that will say, God, here I am.